This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The thing I would say is, when you grow up, you tend to get told that the world is the way it is, and you're... Your life is just to live your life inside the world, try not to bash into the walls too much, uh, uh, try to have a nice family life, uh, have fun, save a little money. Um, but life, that's a very limited life. Life can be much broader once you discover one simple fact, and that is everything around you that you call life was made up by people that were no smarter than you. And you can change it. You can influence it. You can, you can build your own things that other people can use. And the minute that you understand that you can poke life and actually something will, you know, if you push in, something will pop out the other side, that you can, you can change it, you can mold it, um, that's maybe the most important thing, is to shake off this, uh, th- this uh, erroneous notion that life is, is there and you're just going to live in it versus embrace it, change it, improve it, make your mark upon it. Um, I, I think that's very important. And however you learn that, once you learn it, uh, you'll want to change life and make it better because it's kind of messed up in a lot of ways. Um, once you learn that, you'll never be the same again. Now, I've actually always found something to be very true, which is um, most people don't get those experiences because they never ask. Uh, I've never found anybody that didn't want to help me if I asked them for help. I always call them up. I called up, um, this will date me, but I called up Bill Hewlett when I was 12 years old. And he lived in Palo Alto. His number was still in the phone book. And he answered the phone himself. He said, yes? He said, hi, I'm Steve Jobs. I'm 12 years old. I'm a, a student in high school, and I want to build a frequency counter. And I was wondering if you had any spare parts I could have. And he laughed, and he, he gave me the spare parts to build his frequency counter, and he gave me a job that summer in Hewlett-Packard working on the assembly line, putting nuts and bolts together on frequency counters. He got me a job in the place that built them. And I was in heaven. And I've never found anyone who said no or hung up the phone when I called. I just asked. And when people ask me, I try to be as responsive, you know, to pay that, that debt of gratitude back. Um, most people never pick up the phone and call. Most people never ask. And that's what separates sometimes the people that do things from the people that just dream about them. You've got you to gotta act. And you've got to be uh, willing to uh, fail. You've got to be willing to crash and burn You know, with people on the phone, with starting a company, with whatever. If you're afraid of failing, uh, you won't get very far. There's no risk. Now that, that's why you need to do it young. Now that's why we started Apple. We said, you know... We have absolutely nothing to lose. I was 20 years old at the time. Waz was 24 or 5. So we, we have nothing to lose. I mean, we have no families, no children, uh, no houses. Waz had an old car. You know, I had a Volkswagen van. I mean, all, all we were going to lose is the, the, our cars and the shirts off our back. We had nothing to lose. And we had everything to gain. And we figured even if we crash and burn and lose everything, the experience 
will have been worth 10 times the cost. So what did we have to lose? There was no risk. And that's, you know, I think that's a very healthy way to look at it. Um, some people say, well, you could have gone to college and been a lawyer. Well, you're, you're right. But you can go to college and be a lawyer when you're 25. And there's nothing that stops you from doing that. You really, the only thing you really have in your life is time. And if you invest that time in yourself to have great experiences that are going to enrich you, then you can't possibly lose. So I always advise people, don't wait. Do something when you're young, when you have nothing to lose, and keep that in mind. Um, and I, I think that's the best way. Not that people can't start companies when they're 50. I've seen that. Very successful companies. But um, it's a lot easier when you're uh, young and have nothing to lose and, and don't have the responsibilities to other people that you will acquire later on in your life. There is an entrepreneurial risk culture in the Valley that is as important to, um, the, it is as key of a reason why Silicon Valley exists as any other reason. I mean, the, the primary reasons are uh, the entrepreneurial risk culture, the role model, of which role models are a very big part. Uh, second is the universities, Stanford and Berkeley. There wouldn't be a Silicon Valley if there weren't Stanford and Berkeley constantly bringing in human capital, which decides to stay here because it's so nice. And, and third, um, certainly for the number of companies that start, is the financial infrastructure as well. Uh, and then fourth is the beehive effect. Um, you've got a lot of extraordinarily talented people and the beehive effect says that, that it's a lot more efficient to have that talent and all those companies together. And let me give you an example. When you want to start a company, you need to hire some experienced people. You just can't hire people out of school most of the time. So you have to hire some experienced talent. Well, you're going to ask somebody to leave a job, maybe they have a family, and come to your place to work. Well, if your company's in Montana and they move their family and your company fails, there's not another company in Montana that they can go to work for, most likely. So you're going to have to move again. As where if you, all you have to do is convince them to turn left instead of right down the road to go to work in the morning, but they keep their same house, their kids don't have to change school, etc. And if your company fails, well, they just go get a job another week at some other company, uh, you're going to have a much higher probability of recruiting them. And so that's the beehive effect. Uh, and those four things together, I think, are why Silicon Valley is today you know, what it is. The entrepreneurial risk culture has a lot to do with, with role models, uh, starting off with Hewlett and Packard, um, and models of engineers that started companies, models of marketing people that started companies, and you know even some spectacular failures. Some of the failures are, uh, you know, as widely discussed as the as the successes. And even some, you know, even the failures, people are admired for trying, and. Um, I think they pick themselves up, dust themselves off, and you know, go get a job. Maybe they don't own the company. Maybe they're not a founder of the next company, but they've got a really good job, and you know, they, there's no real chance that they'll end up uh, destitute. A Apple was a very classic Silicon Valley startup in the sense that uh, Steve Wozniak and my partner both worked for Hewlett-Packard. Matter of fact, Woz was still working there when we started Apple. And Hewlett-Packard was the genesis of of not just the concept of starting your own company, but, um, and of course it was the primary role model in the Valley, but it was also the, the ethics 
or the ethical basis of um, how you wanted to build your company, a company that was based on values, not based on just making money. And uh, HP had, uh, had the HP way, and they had a list of their values. And the first one was, we need to make a profit or else we can't keep this company going. But after that, they got into how they wanted to treat individuals and conduct their corporate life. And it was uh, it's very idealistic, in my opinion. So we were, we were very much influenced by that. The second uh, thing that made us very, very typical in a way was that we were building a product that we ourselves were the customer for. We were building something we wanted ourselves, just like Hewlett and Packard started uh, building test equipment and equipment for engineers. Well, they were engineers, so they, they could, in essence, do the marketing. They could figure out what an engineer might want in a product as well as design it. We wanted a computer, and we knew exactly what we wanted in a computer. So we could do the marketing as well as the engineering of that product. This changed later as we started selling to people that were different than us, but certainly in the first several years of Apple, we were selling to people that were just like us. And a lot of Silicon Valley companies have started that way. I don't think uh, it will be like that because, like, I'll take myself, all the work that I have done, this is a very strange business and a very strange endeavor of life. All the work that I've done in my life will be obsolete by the time I'm, you know, 50. Apple II is obsolete now. Apple I's were obsolete many years ago. The Macintosh is on the verge of becoming obsolete in the next few years. Um, this is a field where one does not write a principia which holds up for 200 years. This is not a field where one paints a painting that will be looked at for centuries or builds a church. Uh, that will be admired and you know looked at in astonishment for centuries. No, this is a field where one does one's work and in 10 years it's, it's obsolete and really will not be usable within 10 or 20 years. I mean, you can't go back and use an Apple I because there's no software for it. In another 10 years or so, you won't be able to use an Apple II. You won't be able to fire it up and see what it was like. So it's, it's sort of like uh, it's sort of like sediment of rocks. I mean, you're building up a mountain and you get to contribute your little layer of sedimentary rock to make the mountain that much higher. But no one on the surface will, unless they have x-ray vision, will see your sediment. They'll stand on it. It'll, you know, it'll be uh, appreciated by that rare geologist. But no, it's not like the Renaissance at all. It's very different. One of the things that Waz and I did was we built blue boxes. Uh, these are obsolete now, but uh, they were devices that you could build you know, when you make a long-distance phone call in the background, you hear doo -doo 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 -doo. Those are the telephone computers actually signaling each other, sending information to each other to set up your call. And the signaling they use is a lot like touch-tone phones, only it's different frequencies. Well, you can make a box that emits those frequencies, that can make those tones. And there's a way to, f there used to be a way to fool the entire telephone system into thinking you were a telephone computer and to open up itself and let you call anywhere in the world for free. And matter of fact, you could go to, you could, you know, call from a, a payphone, uh, go to White Plains, New York, take a satellite to Europe, take a cable to Turkey, uh, come back to Los Angeles, uh, and you go around the world three or four times and call the payphone next door and shout in the phone, be about 30 seconds and come out the other end of the, the other phone. So we actually, and these were illegal, I, I have to add, uh, but in spite of that, we were so fascinated by them that Waz and I actually figured out how to build one. We built the best one in the world. It was the first digital blue box in the world. And uh, we would uh, give them to our friends and use them ourselves. And 
you know, you, you rapidly run out of people you want to call. But it was, the, it was the magic of the fact that two teenagers could build this box for $100 worth of parts and control hundreds of billions of dollars of infrastructure in the entire telephone network in the whole world from Los Altos and Cupertino, California. That was magical. And experiences like that taught us the power of ideas, the power of understanding that if you could build this box, you can control hundreds of millions of dollars worth of telephone infrastructure around the world. That's a powerful thing. And, and that, if we hadn't have made blue boxes, we, there would have been no Apple. Because we would have not had not only the confidence that we could build something and make it work, because it took us six months of discovery to figure out how to build this. It was a tremendous process in itself. But we also had the, the, the sense of magic that we could, we could sort of influence the world, you know, control it in the case of blue boxes, but something much more powerful than controlling, influencing in the case of Apple. And, and they're very closely related. Uh, I, I really do to this day feel if, there hadn't, if we hadn't had those blue box experiences, there never would have been an Apple computer. Now, if you want to know what's going to happen in five years, you, you don't look in the mainstream, you look at the fringe. And the fringe back in 1975 um, was the Homebrew Computer Club. And it was a bunch of people that were in this area that were building their own computers because they couldn't afford to buy them. I mean, computers were... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.